Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be focusing on Luke chapter 9, 57 to 62. And the title of the message is, What Does It Cost to Follow Jesus? Um, my slides are pretty boring uh, this week. Not really intentional. Uh, just didn't get around to making them real nice and fancy. Uh, Sam is actually preaching at Mansfield Alliance Church, if you're wondering where he's at or why I'm even up here. Uh, so Sam is preaching there, and, and the purpose of him preaching at another church in the Mansfield area is that uh, we're trying to promote the cooperation between churches. Not that we're just our own single family and that's all we are concerned with. Uh, we do have a greater family, and even in this area. Uh, so Sam is preaching at Mansfield Alliance this morning, and we do pray that God is using his message uh, to that church family as well. So this morning we're going to read this scripture. Um, it'll be up on the screen. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, I know typically the ones we use in our seats are New Living Translation, but they should be similar. Uh, I mean, if you have your phone, maybe you could just download this version and read along also. We're going to read the scripture. I want to take a little bit of time to examine a couple of the aspects of the conversation that Jesus had with three people that possibly could have been uh, potential disciples of his. And then afterwards, I want to see what Scripture says about the topic of following Jesus and what is the cost of that. Uh, so if you are ready, I'm going to go ahead and start reading from Luke chapter 9. It says, As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury the dead, their own dead, but you and go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Uh, but Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So before we get into the scripture, uh, if you would pray again with me, I, I want... I want this morning to be something that you can reflect on individually um, because I, I don't know everything that you deal with. I don't know everything that um, you struggle with or maybe, uh, maybe you're not even a Christian. I, I want to take this moment and let's pray before uh, the message. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the worship this morning. Um, I thank you for this passage in Luke that is a challenge to us as Christians, uh, a warning to us as well. And I also uh, think of these men that they maybe weren't Christians. They weren't, even though they were with Jesus, maybe they weren't followers of Jesus. I pray this morning you would work in our hearts, convict us of things that need convicted. And I pray that you um, would bless the words that I speak, that they would come directly from you, uh, not just be something that I want to say. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, we three, see three people who decided the price was too high to follow Jesus, or at least that's what we can take away from this. We can take away because we don't see that they actually responded in a way that they said, okay, what you just said is fine. I'm still going to follow you. I'm going to be a disciple of yours. So what we see is more than likely is that they've decided the price was too high. And I want to take a moment to look at the first person. The first person was a perfect example that Christian knowledge does not equal Christian maturity. Um, 
it's very easy, and I, th I think I've preached on this several times, or at least it's been part of sermons before, is that we can know all about God, we can all know all about Jesus, we can even be close to Him in proximity when we come to church, when we see God moving, but never really have that relationship that we're supposed to have with God. This first person, um, actually, if you read the same account back in Matthew, we see that he was a scribe. And if you know what a scribe is, it's someone who is well-versed in the Jewish law, and it is someone who could have been someone who translated, actually took an original text and wrote it down so we have another copy. So they, they probably knew in their mind exactly what the scriptures were and what the law was. And like, again, we see that in Matthew. And apparently he was traveling with Jesus because this scripture starts out um, that as they were traveling, <clears throat> um, and he was there with them. So apparently he was actually following Jesus in the, where he was going to preach and do all the things that he was doing in his earthly ministry. And I think that this is a warning to all of us. I think it's a warning for those of us who have at one time or maybe even currently have been just church attenders uh, for whatever reason you do that for. Uh, are we following Jesus as a disciple or just because it's tradition? Do we come to church because our spouse wants us to? Uh, do we present ourselves as Christians because we want to appear holy to other people? It kind of sounds counterintuitive to what we're preaching about this morning, uh, that there's a high cost of following Jesus, but there are benefits too, at least in our culture in America, that if, if we appear to be a good person, that can benefit us in some way. So are we someone who presents ourselves as Christians to appear holy to others? But I want you to ask yourself, what is your purpose of being here? And what is your purpose of even beginning this walk with Jesus? Why are you doing it? Because as this first person, there's a difference between knowledge and maturity in our spiritual walk. And then the second person, um, the thing we can take away from this is that it was an indefinite delay to following Jesus. I'm going to read the part uh, with him. It says, uh, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom. Are you delaying following Jesus until a later date? It's really likely that this man's father was not even dead. Because in Jewish customs, if someone had passed away, there was lots of ceremony to happen. There was lots to go on when somebody passed away with um, possibly even sacrifices, different ceremonies you would have. There is very little chance that this man's father passed away and this man was out doing other things besides doing the, the rituals that the Jewish customs were doing. So what we can take away is that this man was probably saying that my father will eventually die. Let me go back, be with him, spend time with him. And then when he does die, I'll, I'll do all the ceremonies that I need to do. And then I'll come back and follow you. So it's an indefinite delay to following Jesus. Are you delaying following Jesus until a later time? I, I've heard this time and time again that, well, when the time's right, or you know, when this, this season of my life is over, or... Um, you know, if once I get closer to uh, my deathbed, then maybe I'll make that decision to follow Jesus. But I'll keep putting it off until the time is right. It could be your family. It could be your job, school, marriage. Your delay could be a lot of different things of what God is calling you to. So what is your delay? Is it, do you relate to the second person well 
and saying that I need to put off following Jesus completely until this or that happens, until um, there's a better time. And we see Jesus' responses. Go spread the news of the kingdom. Let, let the other stuff work itself out. And then the third person, uh, the thing we can take away is that we cannot be concerned with our previous lives, habits, lifestyles, addictions once we begin following him. Now this third person says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This seems like a reasonable request that if I'm going to begin a missionary journey uh, with you, at least let me go back and say goodbye to my family. But I don't think that's exactly what uh, he was meaning by that. And actually, this is a, a reference to 1 Kings chapter 9. So uh, those of you women who are a part of the Elijah Bible study, I don't think you're going to get to this point because this is towards the end of his mission um, or his life on earth. But it's when um, Elijah appoints Elisha as his um, successor. And I'm going to read a little bit out of this uh, passage because I think it helps us get a little bit better idea of this third person and what it means to actually say goodbye uh, to your family. Elijah left there and found Elisha's son of Shaphat as he was plowing. He was plowing with 12 teams of oxen were in front of him and he was with the 12th team. Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. And Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Go on back, he replied, for what have I done to you? So he turned back from following him, took the team of oxen, and slaughtered them. And with the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he left, following Elijah, and served him. What we see in Elisha's response is that he still wanted to follow Jesus, and, and still pretty quickly. It sounds like he immediately went back and started this gathering or celebration, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I always enjoy a story that has to do with a barbecue, um, and it sounds like that's what they had. So it sounds enjoyable. It sounds like they were celebrating that he was going to follow the prophet. And how much more important is it to follow Jesus more than a prophet? So it seems like a reasonable request, uh, and there's a reference back to Elijah and Elisha, but he wanted to go home and get his affairs in order. What I mean by that is he was basically expecting that this was going to be the last journey of his life. He was expecting to die doing this. So he wanted to go home, get all of his affairs in order. Uh, I don't know if they had life insurance back then or anything, but that he needed to get things right at his house before he left. And there was no time for that. This was the Messiah. This is one greater than even Elijah. And then we see the, the plow illustration. Uh, how many of you guys like mowing your lawn with stripes? Is it, any hands? Nobody? Is, am I the only one? All right, me and Jean. Jean, okay. Oh, okay, we got a few of you. It's the same thing with, like, if you, under, if you understand uh, mowing your lawn with stripes, it's the same thing with plowing, actually. So back in the day, uh, obviously they didn't have tractors and everything, so they would have the team of oxen, and uh, basically the person behind them would hold a, I don't know what, it's like a whip or something to control the ox, um, and then also have one hand on the plow. And now there's not much else you can do. You can't be looking back or anything. And actually, if you look back while you're plowing, 
your, your plow lines will no longer be usable because they, they won't be straight. And what they would typically do is as they're plowing a field, they would start and then put their eyes on something in the distance. And then as they're plowing, they, they aren't really paying attention to the line itself. They're just making sure that they're going straight towards their destination. And that's actually the same way it is to stripe your lawn also. If you want to get a straight line in your lawn with, with your mower, you pay attention to something in the distance and you keep your eye on that, that and that's how you get a straight line. If you ever see somebody's yard where it's doing this, that's because they weren't paying attention to what they're doing. They're, they're paying attention to something immediately. But the idea here is that once we begin following Christ, we have to have our eyes set on the destination and that is to continuously um, be following him in everything that we do because if we pay attention to our circ our current circumstances and whatever they are, uh, we'll begin to shift back and forth and our way won't be straight in the way it should be. So I don't know about you, but there's a little bit of each, each of these three people that I can relate to. So I relate to these three potential followers of Christ. There is a cost of discipleship that I struggle with. And like I already mentioned, it's a little bit of each one of those. I struggle with the denial of self-interest and desires. I believe we should all desire self-control um, and even practice it so that we can get better. That's why doing things like fasting, uh, maybe you should fast something during Lent because what that does is it actually helps you get stronger at self-control so that you control your own desires. I, but I struggle with even the small things. I, I struggle with my diet terrible. Uh, something I'm, I'm working on is uh, not drinking as much creamer or, or no creamer with my coffee. Uh, I could say this is, this is a spiritual practice and I'm trying to learn self-control, but really what it goes back to, and I did not ask for her permission to say this, unlike Sam who asked for permission and everything. Rebecca is the reason I'm trying to do this, Rebecca Vance. Because one, one day last year, as over a year ago, I was serving coffee and she walked in and I said, would you like some creamer in your coffee? And she said, no, I'll just take it black. I said, oh, I wish I could do that. I, I, can't, I'm, I can't do that, I have to use creamer. And she says, oh, are you not man enough? <laughs> oh, I said, dang, ouch. <laughs> So ever since that day, I have been working on this, trying to get the creamer out of my coffee because I want to look manly. <laughs> but that's something I'm still working on. Some of us can quit things better than others, honestly. And there, maybe there are certain things you can quit that are easier than others. Um, just as an example, I remember uh, my, my grandma was a smoker and uh, for a long, long time. I, how long do you think she smoked, Mom? 50 years, <laughs> but it was normal back then, you know, normal, I don't know what decade this was, but smoking wasn't what it is today. My grandma was able to just quit, like she just said, I'm going to quit, quit, and that was it. I can't even take the creamer out of my coffee. <laughs> so some of us are stronger or maybe better at it. I'm still struggling. It's difficult for me. I, I just love the creamer in my coffee, and I got a little bit in there this morning. Um, but on a more serious note, how, how much more difficult is it for the things that are actually more serious? How much more difficult is it for us to put aside our pride or for us to quit an addiction that we actually have? For me, it's a struggle. Honestly, my pride is a big struggle. Uh, 
um, the things I want to do, the things I think I should be recognized for, uh, even the things I wish other people would do for me. Those are the things that truly get in the way of my relationship with Christ. I'm obviously not into um, zodiac signs and astrology, uh, but I actually heard someone say once that uh, I, battle with, I battle with myself daily, I'm a Gemini. And I am a Gemini, actually, if you, if, if you look at my birth um, date. And I was like, man, I do battle with myself daily. But every day I wake up and I, I mentally have to prepare for the day. I have to put my pride and desires to the side and it's almost like my soul has to tell my body who is in charge today. When I first learned about the word sanctification, it put me at ease knowing that becoming more like Jesus has its ups and downs. We have our good days and our bad days, but the important thing is we don't give up. We continue trying. Um, do you guys ever, do you remember the song 10,000 Reasons? I, 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 we maybe have sung it uh, or sang it on a Sunday morning. In that song, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And when I hear that, I think that's what I think of when I, when I have to put my self-control and desires to the side. Is, is I feel like my soul has to tell my body what to do. My flesh wants to do its own thing, even though my soul wants to do what's right. But the important thing is we don't give up. So that's how I struggle with this. I'll put this out there. You guys know I'm not perfect. You know I'm not perfect, and I'll never claim to be. So that's how I deal with it. So how do we deal with this? How does our society deal with this? Honestly, currently, I'm, I'm struggling to understand the church. The past two years in particular, and the past year mainly, has left me with lots of questions. Let me give you some examples of how we struggle with this concept of following Jesus. And by we... I do mean a little bit of our American culture. I know Sam says a lot about the American church, and there's some truth to that, is that because the way we are blessed in a lot of ways with, with uh, finances and, and all the, the comforts that we have in this country, I think we're a little bit different than other parts of the world. We find security in things. We find that in our family and friend circles, whether that be large or small, we find security in whatever that is. We find security in our finances. I know uh, for me, there was a time when losing my job at Geico Insurance, I felt like I was worthless. I felt uh, at times there was depression setting in because I couldn't provide for my family. I think that there is a chance that we even find security in our government and, and we find security and maybe in the way that things have been or used to be for a long time here. Now, there's no guarantee that that will continue. There's no guarantee that we will forever have religious freedom. And we, right now we find security in the, tr the freedoms that we do have. And I think we also find security in our traditions. Um, that could be family traditions, our religious traditions that we have um, in America. And then outside of the church and, and our culture, which kind of interweave, is uh, we promote pursuing all, all our desires. If it makes you feel good, then do it. That's what's promoted. That's what's promoted to us on TV, uh, us in any type of advertising. And it's also being promoted to our children. 
We promote self-indulgence. We promote worldly security and decide that even if you believe in God, he does not come first. I would not say that our society deals with this correctly. And uh, I know that I even struggle with it personally. And the reason we struggle with this is because our flesh is evil and desires the opposite of what God calls us to do. So as we get into this passage and look at the theme presented, which is the cost of discipleship or the cost of following Jesus, I want to answer the question, what does it cost to follow Jesus? If you're a Christian and, and listening, uh, I pray, pray that you're able to hone in on these truths. Um, and if you're not a Christian listening to this message, I pray that you consider the cost. Uh, because these men may or may not have been believers in Jesus, likely not. Um, so this message is for either Christian or non-Christian. There's a cost on earth, and there's also a reward in heaven. So let's take a, a, a few minutes, and I'm going to uh, look at some of those topics and the theme of the cost. The first thing is, uh, actually it's on this slide as we get, we get going, the cost of discipleship is the denial of self-interest and desires and a total commitment to the will of God, even to the point of death. So the first thing is uh, the cost involves self-denial. In Matthew 16, 24, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I, I've heard it said that we have for so long traded up, taking our cross up and instead putting our, our comforts ahead of our relationship with Jesus. Jesus says that while we're here, we must actually take up our cross daily and follow him. And uh, actually in Matthew 10, it says that the person who doesn't take up his cross is not worthy of me. And then in Luke 14, it says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There is a cost of self-denial. And that, what I mean by that is we can't put our own desires first. There is going to be a time where going, you're going to be asked and required of you to put yourself to the side and put God's will first. And then the second thing is that what does that mean? Self-denial means not living for yourself. Romans 14 says, For none of us live to himself and no one dies to himself. 2 Corinthians 5 says that and he died for all those who live uh, should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them was raised. And then in uh, 1 Peter 4, it says, In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, for, but for God's will. And we're going through these quickly. Uh, if you guys would like any of the scriptures, I'll post them later. Um, and then the third thing is the cost of discipleship is to be carefully considered. I think that the first person in particular, the scribe, Although he knew the law, although he knew Scripture and all about God, had never actually sat down and considered the cost of following Jesus. Because once, once Jesus said, hey, just so you know, uh, I don't, I'm homeless. Uh, it, so if you want to follow me, you're going to have to be okay with being homeless also. Um, and it sounds like that guy never considered the true cost of following Jesus. Um, Luke 14, 20 to 32 it says, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, and all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. 
Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still afar off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. I know many of you are aware of the uh, church building on Park Avenue. Um, a lot of you came, not a lot of you, there's several of you who have come from that congregation at one point. And it's a reminder of this same thing. What is the, the cost? We need to consider the cost ahead of time before we set out to follow Jesus. And then also total surrender is required. And then Philippians 3, 7 through 8 says, But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowledge or the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. This is actually a benefit. Um, when we think of all the things we put off, all the things we deny ourselves, it is difficult. Don't get me wrong. But there is a reward and there, there is a joy that knowing that there is a reason we're doing it. And it's actually for good. Um, the security of the world is to be resisted. This can be a, a definitely one that uh, you could say could be political in some way. Is uh, trusting in your government to do things for you. To make sure that you're secure. Make sure that you are free to worship. Make sure that you have income. Jesus says that the security of the world is to be resisted. And there's a benefit to not relying on others uh, because it allows you the freedom to do what you need to do. Matthew 8, 19 to 20 says, The scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's the Matthew version where it says this man was a scribe. Um, Jesus didn't rely on anybody else to take care of him. Jesus was actually okay with being homeless. Jesus was okay with being taken care of by God in a way that God takes care of the animals, that God takes care of nature. I'm not asking any of you to be homeless, by the way. But Jesus Christ must have first priority. In Luke 9, uh, the same part we said here, it says, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom, is that it has to take priority over other things. Um, Colossians 1.18 says, He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And then Jesus Christ must come before family ties. Uh, in Matthew uh, 10.37, you guys know this verse, it says, The person who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The cost of discipleship is constant. Luke 9, 23 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. It's every single day the call, there's a cost of following Jesus, and we have to take up our cross. Uh, the cost of discipleship includes persecution. Now, uh, this can be translated different ways, for, I think, for different cultures and societies, because we face or may face different types of persecution compared to other church or other countries where uh, the freedom of being a Christian is not there. Uh, also, persecution 
uh, we, I think my mind always goes to, am I going to die? Is somebody going to kill me because I'm a Christian? Um, that's not the full scope of what persecution means. Uh, it could mean the fact that you may uh, even be not considered for a job because you are a Christian. Or maybe it's um, you are treated in a harmful manner because you're a Christian. So it is possible that persecution can happen in America. It can even be outside of the government. That's, that's not just what the, we look at. So when we think of you know, the churches that were attacked in this country, that's a Christian persecution. Uh, and that is always a possibility. In John 15, it says, Remember the word I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And then I, the last one here says, The cost of discipleship includes willingness to suffer and die for Jesus Christ's sake. I hope this obviously is not the, the end result for any of us. But the disciples in particular knew what their cost was uh, when they set out after Jesus had left and after the, the church was, was initiated and they went out to be missionaries and, and preached the gospel, they knew there was going to be a cost and risk. And we see that um, John 12, it says, Then the one who loves his life will lose it, and one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The cost to follow Jesus is high, but the reward is greater. I want to say this, um, and we're getting close to the last couple of things here, as the, the decision we, we must make with urgency. And again, this message is for Christians, non-Christians alike. It's not something we can wait on. If, if you're not a Christian, the decision to follow Christ must be urgent. If you are a Christian and you haven't actually surrendered your life to Jesus in every aspect, that's something you urgently need to decide. John 3.3 says that we must be born again to enter heaven. Now, heaven is where God the Father and God the Son are. And Scripture tells us it's a place where we'll no longer be in the presence of sin and evil. I think we all look forward to that. Our bodies will be perfected. We don't any longer have to worry about different diseases, viruses, cancers, any of that. That'll all be gone. It's a place of eternal life. It's a place where we'll be reunited with the believers who went on before us. But most importantly, we'll be in the presence of our Creator. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to go. That's where I want my children to be. That's where I want all of you to be as well. So if you've never made the decision to follow Christ, my prayer today is that you do seek out Jesus, that you seek out um, Him in salvation. And He is the one who died to pay for your sins. Um, and if you've been a Christian for a, a reasonable amount of time and never decided to put God first, um, I pray that today that you and I both would ask for the strength to do that. When I read all of these things at the cost of discipleship or the cost of following Jesus, as I read that list, some of those may have stuck out to you. It was like, wow, that's either impossible, that's really difficult, or that's something that I don't think I'll ever be able to do. And in some way, you're right. It's near impossible to do on our own. So if there are things that I were to ask you, does that take priority in your life over God? And you would say, yes, 
I want you to pray that God would help you put him first. Because truthfully, there are, there are things that we struggle with. There are things that um, our flesh is drawn towards, but our, our spirit does not want that. Actually, uh, we see that all throughout the New Testament. And actually, uh, so if you remember when Jesus went to the, the garden to pray and the disciples were there, and he asked them to stay awake and pray, and they fell asleep, well, it actually says that their, their spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And we see that actually even into to Paul, uh, as he was traveling, and we'll get into Romans chapter 7 uh, as an example of that. But this week, I've been saying a verse from Proverbs to myself, and it says that the righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. So I'm reminded that this path that we seek to follow Jesus does not come without stumbles, troubles, even times of being uncomfortable. It may seem like we have failed, but we just need to keep trying to be like Jesus. We can't give up. I'm reminded of the uh, quote from Thomas Edison, and it says that, um, I've not failed, I just found 10,000 ways that won't work. There's a possibility that that, you, that could be you as a Christian I found 10,000 ways that I tried to follow Jesus and it didn't work. But he didn't fail because he kept trying. And that's, that's really the, the goal is that we continue trying to be like Jesus and fighting against our flesh. Paul gives us a great example in Romans 7. It says, For I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. But there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I should not want to do. I think reading that should give us a little bit of encouragement, knowing that Paul, this hero of the faith, was someone who struggled with his flesh. Someone who even admits someone that he, he's kind of confessing that he fails at this. He confesses his natural inability to do what is right and realized that, he, realized that he needed to be delivered from his sin. So you may feel like you absolutely cannot conquer your desires of the flesh. But I'm here to tell you it is possible what we need is a power outside of ourselves, and that only comes from God, the Holy Spirit. So as you and I seek to be more like Jesus, let's pray that the Holy Spirit helps us fight off our desires of the flesh. And the last thing I want to leave you with is Romans 8, 18 to 19, because I feel like this is an encouragement for this battle that, that we're in, this, this spiritual battle that we deal with on a daily basis. Um, with ourselves, with our flesh, between our spirit and the flesh. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly awaits the anticipation for God's Son to be revealed. The reward is greater than any type of struggles we have here. It may seem like a constant struggle until you take your last breath. I pray that as, as we do fight this battle, as we do continually try to be more like Jesus, that it does get easier. 
because it, it could, it should actually. The more we, we practice self-control, the more we practice self-denial, and the more we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, it should become easier, but that battle will still be there because we are, no, we are still in the presence of sin. We're still in the presence of our flesh. But there is coming a day when those sufferings won't be anymore and the, the reward will finally be ours for following Jesus on earth. So as Matt comes to play, um, I ask that you take this time to pray. I ask that you pray for power from God to overcome your battles. Uh, pray for the strength to have self-control. and Pray for the strength to put your selfish desires to the, to the side. I gave some silly illustrations of, of what that's like with my coffee. But seriously, it is a daily battle. It's a daily battle to follow Jesus, to, to put our own flesh to the side and fight off the desires that it wants. So I want you to pray with me while, as he sings that God would give us the strength to be successful in that battle. <laughs> 